0: morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. It's great to join you in worship in this way. My family and I are on vacation this week. And as I was preparing for the sermon series that we're starting as we head toward Christmas, our Advent series, I just thought like, man, I really want to be with you guys. I'm not going to be with you because I'm on vacation. But I want to be able to bring this word that I believe the Lord has given, has been stirring in me to each of you, even though I can't physically be here with you. If you're a visitor, just know that this is not normal. I don't actually think I've ever done this before where I've pre-recorded my sermon, but that's how I felt. That's what I believe the Lord has led me to. So thank you for being here today. Since it's after Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas to all of you. And I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Let's pray and ask God to set apart this time. Jesus, this text is your text. This story of Advent, of the movement of courage and surrender that you have given to Mary, would you teach us through it? May the words of my mouth and the things that each of us consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. I started reading a wonderful book a couple of weeks ago called A Burning in My Bones, it's an it's a biography, not an autobiography, a biography of Eugene Peterson, the author of the Message translation of the Bible. How many of you have ever read the Message translation? Amazing, impactful. Some would even call it life-changing paraphrasing of the Bible, which Peterson wrote after many, many, many years of being a pastor. The book is written by Wynne Collier, who is an English professor and someone who is a family friend of the Petersons. And I'm at the part in the book now where Eugene has finished college. He graduated from Seattle Pacific University back in 1953, and he's trying to figure out what to do next with his life. And so he's part of the Pentecostal tradition of the church, the Assemblies of God. And so he goes to his district supervisor, kind of the person in charge of the churches in his region. He grew up in Kalispell, Montana, which is kind of in the northern, northwestern part of the state, close to Flathead Lake, Glacier National Park. It's beautiful up there. And Eugene goes to his district superintendent and says, hey, I think I have a call to ministry. What do you think I should go do? And I love the guy's response. The guy basically says like, well, we've been looking to plant a church in this itty bitty little town, over in kind of the central part of the state, why don't you go there, Eugene, and start to plant a church? Fresh college graduate, no formal ministry training, just go plant a church. Like, this is great. And I love the faith in that. I'm not mocking that in any way. But as we'll see, the story doesn't turn out like Eugene thought it would. Come September, Eugene folded his butcher's apron. His father was the town butcher. And he packed everything he owned for the five-hour trip to Townsend, Montana. It was a fledgling town 35 miles southeast of Helena. As his first order of business, Eugene located the butcher shop and explained his expertise, immediately securing a job and promising to show up early on Monday. Next, he tracked down a basement apartment for rent. It was a perfect spot to serve as his modest parsonage, a launching pad for the pastoral work he envisioned. Things were looking bright. He'd been in Townsend in only a matter of hours, but with a job and a home, he supposed it was time to go find his congregation. And so he walked door to door throughout the entire town, introducing himself at each house. Hello, I'm Eugene Peterson. I've been asked to come here to start an Assemblies of God church. Can I talk to you about it? And the doors closed, both literally and metaphorically. House after house, not a single person agreed to a conversation. The Mormons and the Methodists had the town locked down tight. Eugene ran the gamut, the gauntlet of slammed doors. Finishing, he stopped at the edge of town, totally deflated. He had no more doors to knock on. Baffled, he just kept walking down to the Missouri River. He watched the sunset. What am I supposed to do? He pondered. In the twilight, he trudged back to a diner where he took a booth and eyed the greasy menu. And after a hamburger and a slice of apple pie, he returned to his parsonage and rolled out his sleeping bag. The next morning, he tossed his gear into his car and drove out of town. Eugene had been a pastor for roughly 18 hours. That image of closing doors really stuck with me. It's hard to plant a church. It's hard to grow and serve and be a part of the life of this church, and I'm picturing all of you and all the times that you've invested in this church, it is amazing to me how faithful God has been to us. And yet, sometimes, it feels like in ministry, doors close. You know, we want to try to start something. We want to reach people through an outreach ministry with bicycles in our parking lot, and people just don't show up. They go, no, we're good. We don't, we don't need that. Maybe you've had this experience where you've invited a friend to come to church, where you've talked to someone about the gospel, where you've done your level best to try to reach them and the door just closes. I think we can all relate to that. And I'll just say as a pastor, this... Period post COVID, or as we emerge from COVID, or however you want to phrase it, it has been particularly difficult in terms of closing doors. Sometimes people come and check out our church, and I go, Oh man, this is great. Love to see you be a part of things here. And for very good reasons, they find another church. They move on. We don't find ourselves with many new converts in our community. And I lament that, and I also go, You know, That's what God has done so far. And may we continue to pray for more conversions. And yet, that closing of doors can be very discouraging. It takes courage away from us. Early on in my time here at Bethany, I was feeling discouraged. I was feeling like, man, what are we doing? We're in this community center. Like, we have these great leaders, these faithful people. But like, what's our mission? What's God doing in us? And what I really needed to reflect on was what's God doing in me? And a friend of mine pointed me toward this book, written by Eugene Peterson, not The Message, a book called Run with the Horses. It's an amazing book. It's, a, it's really just a series of sermons that Peterson gave about the book of Jeremiah. And in the introduction to the book, Peterson talks about how he looks at Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, as a mentor. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. Like, I've, I love mentors. Ever since I've been in ministry, I've always had, like, by the grace of God, really great mentors, but they're alive (laughs) and I can call them and I can talk to them and I can ask them questions. That's kind of my pathway through seasons of discouragement or confusion is I I talk to people. I'm kind of a verbal processor, but I also think there's a lot more wisdom out in the world than there is in me. But Peterson said that he would engage in reading Jeremiah and try to listen to the words of the prophet like a mentor's voice. And I had a hard time relating to that until this week until I put a fresh set of eyes on this familiar text, which we just heard read for us, from the Gospel of Luke, the story of Mary. Much like the way Eugene Peterson was influenced and shaped by the prophet Jeremiah, I found myself shaped and encouraged, and even found myself kind of being mentored by Mary, the mother of Jesus. And it's her courage in particular that I want to highlight today, but it's not courage in the sense in the traditional sense of the word. It's not courage like, you know, that great scene in the last Avengers movie where Captain America, he's been beat up, he's been thrown to the ground, but boy, he gets back up, he straps that shield to his arm, and he gets ready to go fight the invading army. It's not courage like that. It's not about facing impossible odds, although that is the case in Mary's story. It's not like the courage that gathers a church community together in a family's living room. And starts this amazing journey of ministry, which I pray God would bless and continue to bring about for years to come. It's not that kind of courage. Mary's courage comes from this place of surrender. Say that with me, church. Surrender. And what we're going to talk about today is, where does that come from? What are the foundations for courage? And how does courage come from surrender? So if you're an outline person, that's what we're going to talk about. The foundations of courage. And then we're going to talk about... the fulfillment of courage, courage made complete. So let's look together at the text. I'll have these slides up on the screen with us, but we're going to look first at verses 28 and 29. And the theme I want to present to us in this first part of the sermon is this. Wisdom takes a minute. If wisdom is one of the components that we need for courage, I'm going to argue that we need wisdom and curiosity based on Mary's example for us. That will help build courage, create the proper foundation for courage. Wisdom takes a minute. Say that with me. Wisdom takes a minute. Let's look at this text together. This is the very beginning of the passage, the dialogue between Mary and the angel Gabriel. And he, Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Wisdom takes a minute. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a conversation with an angel. I have not. But I just can't imagine there's any other response to it than having all your circuits fry in your brain. This is a supernatural being. This is a being of incredible beauty and power. And you're just you. You're just a human being. You're you're just this normal person. Or in this case, Mary is a teenage girl with no power, with no status, with no stature in her community. And yet I just, I so admire her response to this moment because she doesn't fill up the air with words. She doesn't go, hold on a minute, I'll be right back. What she does is she just takes a breath and she just looks at this situation and she goes, I'm just going to listen. Listen. Like, what kind of courage is that to just say, you know, I have an angel talking to me. I think I should listen. Like, that's presence of mind. That is the ability to say, like, I think this is going to overwhelm me unless I just take it in. Peter does the opposite thing in Matthew chapter 17. Remember this? This is the transfiguration where Jesus comes up to a mountainside with his disciples and the heavens break forth and he's transfigured. He's filled with the power of God. And then around him are Moses and Elijah, two of the great prophets. It's this incredible holy moment. It's so powerful. And Peter's response to it is to start babbling. He says, this is great. Let's set up camp. Like, I'm going to cook bacon for you guys. Well, not bacon. I'm going to cook something for you guys. This is going to be great. And I can just picture the three of them, the three great leaders of the faith, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, they all kind of look at him like, really, dude? You couldn't just take this in? But Mary does. Mary does. She takes it all in. She ponders it. She doesn't let the perplexity or the complication of the situation overwhelm her. That's Better than I can do a lot of the time. How about you? So that's the first lesson. Wisdom takes a minute. The second lesson is this. Wisdom is sincerely curious. We're talking about how do we build courage. Wisdom is sincerely curious. Let's continue in the story. The angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High.'" And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? How can this be, Gabriel? I know I'm engaged. I know that once I get married, I and my husband will be able to fulfill our marriage vows and become one flesh and all that stuff, but we haven't done that yet. Like if A plus B equals C, I've got part A and you're telling me part C is coming, but part B is missing, Gabriel. What's going on here? And she's sincerely curious. She asks literally like a biological question. How is this possible? And this is in contrast to what we're going to talk about next week, which is the story of Zechariah the father of John the Baptist. Zechariah has a similar encounter with the angel, a similar prophecy is given to him. And Zechariah, (laughs) the best way I can summarize this is that he is incredulous and mocking of the angel. Not a good plan, not a good plan. Mary's plan, yes. Just ask the Lord what's going on. That's what she does. She interacts with what's happening in front of her. This is what I think is happening. You're telling me this. Help me understand. How many of you, whenever you were in class, you know, in school or grad school or whatever, there was always that one person who had the guts to ask the question nobody else wanted to ask? Why why would that person always ask that one question? Because they weren't afraid, like so many of us were, of looking dumb. Mary doesn't care about looking dumb here. Mary knows that wisdom is to ask the question, to probe, to try to understand, to explore, what am I actually facing? Wisdom slows down. Wisdom takes a minute. And wisdom asks the question, what is happening here? When we are faced with situations where we are lacking in courage, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you really up to here? I mentioned earlier that this season in ministry has been hard. Lord, what are you up to in this difficult season of ministry? What does it look like for our church, for our community, for our world? Finally, I want to talk about the fulfillment of courage. The fulfillment of courage. This is where Mary surrenders to the angel. This is in verse 38. This is one of my favorite lines in all scripture, which another favorite line of mine, the angel just said to her, which is nothing will be impossible with God. He answers the A plus B plus C question. Look, I can't tell you how it's all going to work out, but nothing is impossible with God. And then Gabriel Mary says this in response to Gabriel. Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. The New Living Translation says it this way. Let what you just said come true. Let it come true. May it be so. This is one of the most powerful lines in all of Scripture. And here's why. Back up the camera lens a little bit. Mary is showing us the character of, Of her son who is yet to even be born. She is demonstrating the surrender of Jesus to the will of God. She shows the majestic story of the gospel. Even though her son has yet to be formed, has yet to take his first breath, so that he one day can proclaim it to the world, Mary has no power. She has no status. She has no influence in this moment. She is the perfect person to say these words to the angel. And she's the perfect person to live into this value of surrender and to teach it to her son. I don't know how she taught it to Jesus, but man, think of all the ways that you were influenced to the good and to the bad by your mom, by your dad, by the people who raised you. Think about Mary influencing Jesus from day one with this idea of surrender. Yeah, Jesus, I know you want to go do that, But the Lord is in charge. I know you're discouraged right now, son. But let me tell you about the plans that God has for you. This is what Jesus did again and again and again in his ministry. My will is not my own. My words are not my own. My food, my desire is to do the will of the Father. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are not just aphorisms. These are not just axioms, altruisms. No, this is the very fabric of the gospel. And Jesus embodies this all the way to the cross. Remember that dark night in the Garden of Gethsemane at the very end of his earthly life. He's about to go to the cross and he knows what's coming and his friends have mostly abandoned him at this point and he kneels and he cries out to heaven, God, help me. Take this from me. I don't want it. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. This is Mary's calling. This is your calling. This is our calling, church. That's how I want us to respond if we're discouraged. That's how I want to better and better respond as your pastor in any season of ministry. Lord, let it be according to your will. Let me practice these things that Mary has demonstrated. Let us be a people whose courage comes from this wisdom, this taking it in for a minute. Let us be a people who demonstrate sincere curiosity. God, what are you up to? Tell me. I long to know. And the courage is fulfilled and made complete in the surrender that Mary demonstrates for nothing will be impossible with God. So church, what do you need to surrender today? What do I need to surrender Mary surrendered a normal life, an unremarkable life, if you would. Marriage, kids, a home. She surrendered that to this word from the angel. He will be son of the most high. He will be the almighty king of an everlasting kingdom. That's a different plan than she woke up with that morning. And she needed this courage to get there. So church, where do you need the courage of the Lord? Let's begin with this. Where do you most need God's courage? That is where you must surrender. That is where I must surrender. And I'll just say for me, I need courage to lead and to shepherd and to care for us and to point us toward the Lord in this season in the life of the church. We need a bold witness for Christ. We need revival across the east side. We need women and men to come to faith in Jesus, not just to fill up the pews of the church and have more people around, although that would be great, but because Christ commands us to and because surrendering our lives is so unnatural to us, especially on the east side, we must, must surrender. And maybe that's what Advent needs to be for you this season, church. Maybe you just need to surrender this. This buying of gifts, this making meals, this staying so busy that we can't stop and take a breath. Not this time. This is a call to courage. This is a time for courage. Imagine you're in the car with Eugene Peterson. After all those doors slammed in his face in Townsend, Montana, you're driving back to Kalispell, back to your parents' house, and you're just going, man, that was rough. In some ways, there have been seasons in ministry, especially in the last 18 months, have just felt like that. Man, this has been rough. But something changed for Eugene. He went back and had a conversation with his mom. And she told him, God has more for you. I believe that you still have a pathway forward. And because that courage was poured into him by his mom, by his great mentor, those closed doors, I believe, fueled him for the work of the Lord brought power and life into what could have been a dying chapter of his life. And what if, what God was able to do in that season of the doors closing, what if that was merely kindling for the fire, the bonfire that would become, the ministry that he was called to, the church that God called him to build, and the message translation of the Bible? What if all of that never would have happened if he hadn't experienced that season of closing doors and that discouragement? What if the surrender that was necessary for this next stage in his life, what if that too is our calling, church? What is God stirring up in you? What is he bringing you to surrender? That's what we're going to talk about in our discussion groups. So I'll share these discussion questions with you, then I'll pray for us. Share your name in your discussion group and share one highlight from your Thanksgiving week. And then the second question is just this. Where might you need courage in your life in the week ahead? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for this time. May these words be your words and may anything that were my words may be quickly forgotten. Bless our discussion now. Give us courage. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless you and see you soon.